Welcome to Dirt with Dermot and Paul. Coming today from, well, for a few minutes, from the shadow of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Have you been in this park before? No, never. Uh, it's quite delightful because it's right in the bang middle of the city centre. It's quite delightful because it's, the Ivy buildings are there, which I think were flats and it's the Guinness family have been good to the city, creating this whole environment. And it's very ordinary it's very democratic. It's very unpompous for a park in the shadow of a cathedral. Yeah, but if you look around, there's things like really cool topiary bay. There's topiary yew trees. There's big old planes yeah, on the road. On. Topiary there's... is a bit. There's a cube of bay. Yeah. Turn to your left. Conical yew trees. That's not a there's conical yew tree. That amazing is amazing evergreen oaks. Like there's one of those birches. shaggy creatures from a cartoon. Absolute myriad of trees, and it's lovely to see. There's them a wildflower matter. They're not wildflowers. It's an annual pollinating. He's having an argument with himself. (laughs) On today's episode of Dirt. We're going to be talking a little bit about peat, number one, uh, as it's a big thing and it's a topic that's coming up more and more and we need to kind of make people more aware of it, I guess. Why is it coming up more and more? Because we're not allowed to harvest it anymore. We have... uh, Because a big um, boat full of over... 3,000 tonnes of it arrived in the port the other week and we're discussing why are we not using it, why are we being dissuaded from using it by people like you and me. Yep, and we're also going to touch a little bit on us as a unit planting together for the first time and one that we will do in the future and one that we are currently doing in Ireland. One? What does it mean, Aideen, by one? You've been warned. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, let's get to the podcast. Let's find the dirt. Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. What's this about going to London? i got to bring Paul to London <laughs> to do a garden shop. You're both staring at me blankly. It's, the, it's not the first I've heard of it, but I did hear about it very, very late in the day. Well, you didn't. You heard about it last week. Briefly, but you say things all the time. To be honest with you, it's a job I've been trying to avoid. And it's a two-person job. And where am I going to find somebody else in London? A city of nearly how many million people? Yeah, but when you're looking for that person who understands, who you don't have to explain everything to 20 times, and who's pleasant enough to spend time with. But can be quite a bitch when he wants to be, as we've discovered this week, while working together. Do you know... That is true. You have been. And I've been looking at you now and you turn it all on today when we're in the podcast studio. Yeah, you have to be nice in public. He has been. <laughs> it's not been easy. and I have been bloody easy. He, he hasn't been easy. You never know when he's turning up. And you, I did think, do I really want to bring him over to London? <laughs> <laughs> and yet... <laughs> and I decided, yeah, because we're going to do a job for my agent. Now, I've been signed up to my agent for about 25, 26 years. And I think that would be really good punishment for Paul. <laughs> do you know anything about my agent? Uh, apart from the fact that you keep calling him the scariest man that he's you know. He's so f-ing scary, Paul, you've no idea. But I reckon it's, he's probably just cuddly and you're a bit... You know, dramatic. Okay, you go <laughs> along uh, thinking that way. He's so f***ing scary. And do you know the scariest thing about him is? He doesn't smile. No, he, when, he la- when he smiles, he laughs heartily. But sometimes you'd be out for a lunch with him or a breakfast with him. And for 10 minutes, he'll say 
absolutely nothing. And you have to keep talking because you think it's your job to keep the conversation going or, or whatever. He is... Sounds like brilliant company. Is he like Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it? He's so like Malcolm Tucker, you've no idea. And I would rain down upon you so hard that you'd have to be reassembled by air crash investigators. And sometimes when things are going well, this is well known in the industry, sometimes when things are going well and everything has gone, at an award ceremony, everybody's been present, he'll just do the most outrageous thing or say the most outrageous thing just to cause a stir. He doesn't give a shit. And he doesn't really believe in the industry. I, I, I secretly believe he has no regard for the industry in general. Which probably makes him very good at his job. Very good at his job because he doesn't give two hoots. And yet he's amazing. He's like my kind of strict English dad. So what's the job? Paul, oh. you haven't been informed of this yet, have you? Uh, I did get a video after... Yeah, he does. He knows everything about it. So no, Paul only after is, as usual, said, been a bloody drama queen. I asked what's queen. happening next week and you're like, oh, we're going to London. Well, that just doesn't... What? It's a big deal. For you? For Well, at this, you know, we haven't been able to travel for a while, so just jumping up and going to London now is... You've just come back from Wales. That's different. Why is it different? You've You've driven from Wales all the way up to the top of Scotland. Yeah, it was great, but it's definitely not London. It's not London. What, what are we doing in London? Then? We're office escaping. So he is down the kind of Camden area and he has an office and he wants plants. He has plastic plants in it and he wants it planted up like a bit of a jungle. And does he have anyone who knows anything about plants apart from you? No. Well, see, that was a backhanded compliment. No, he doesn't. Uh, he- oh, so they have to be tough old... Yeah. Things to be able to survive in an office in yeah. London where nobody will really care about them. Yeah. Somebody might do it once a week if they are asked, but that's it. There's plenty of light in the room that we're doing. So he's moved everybody into one big kind of communal space other than his office, which is uh, up the stairs. Um, Labyrinth. Plenty of light in it. It's a nice enough place. But London isn't an easy place to do business with. So it involves us going over, hiring a van, going to Covent Garden at about 5am, dealing with all those lads in Covent Garden who really like you but pretend they don't. Is it uh, like dealing with 100 Dell Boys? Yeah. Is it that kind of? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's market at five in the morning and farting around and haggling and... I'll have this tomorrow and I won't have this. And and on top of that, you're going with me and I'll be very particular about how I want these plants to look. And I won't want them to look like any other office landscaping. So I'll be going, trying to find really beautiful terracotta pots that up until this time, I could have driven over myself. I could have sourced there and driven over. But of course, you can't do that now, can you? Uh, Brexit has made that impossible. Although, in saying that, there's probably better ones in the UK. It's just when you're out of touch with a place. Yeah, but I only want to be in the UK for two days. I don't want to use up. So, finding pots, getting the uh, compost to do it, and then also getting them up the spiral staircase in his building. There's no parking around where he is, all that sort of thing. And dealing with John. And he's also said... You can stay with me. Now, in the 27 years, he's never said, you can stay with me. So I'm scared shitless to begin with. Because I don't really want to stay with him. But it will be seen as a big snob if I don't. Because he never said that to Davina McCall, did he? 
or Dermot O'Leary, did he? Or Russell Brand, did he? But the gardeners are allowed to say. Well, I assume I'm allowed to say. Has that been... <laughs> well, I don't know that I've told him that he knows of you because I've recommended you for a television programme. Oh, actually, I have friends in uh, Islington that I can stay with. You won't be allowed if, on a... if he says you're staying with him, we have to stay with him. <laughs> is he a man of mystery or can we say his name? John, well, yeah, he is. He's such a man of misery because his name isn't his name. <laughs> okay. So, uh, John Knoll is the name he goes by, but his name is John Lennon. John Knoll, as in Christmas? Y- yeah. Okay. And he's, uh, <laughs> he's a sharp Mancunian. And, God, he put me, I was with him last week, he put me through the ringer. And Give I don't an nothing. example of a conversation he'd have, or how would he berate you? You're some f***er, aren't you? Is the way it would start. I won't scare you, OK? I'll just explain to you what I'm going to f***ing do to you. I'm going to take your b***s, I'm going to f***ing rip them off, I'm going to f***ing pick eyeballs on them. So, I think it would be an idea to record our exploits over in the big smoke, uh, planting up this office and everything. And if I take along a recorder, will I be able to interview or record John or will he? Is that against the law? Uh, do you know what? I'd play him at his own game and I would go... It and just uh, get the recorder out. Okay, right. Let's because they can't hear our podcast over there, can they? <laughs> Hi, John, if you're listening. <laughs> he wouldn't listen, like every other bloody client uh, or agent. Because uh, I have a few of them, they never watch telly. Yeah, but when you talk about people on something, it's usually extracted from that podcast and sent on an email. <laughs> Oh, that's true. Yes. So be nice. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> now tell me about landscaping an office. Is this a new trend? Yeah. Or is this just for no, is this just for like the city in London, this kind of uh, it, highfalutin? No, it's a reborn trend. It used to be something back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, now people want to create nice environments for people to work. They want people back in at the offices. They want to create nice environments. And John has built this office himself, so he wants it to be uh, looking really good. Well, for a long time, we've been kept away from the offices and people have really Well, for you and me, it's a lifetime. When did you ever work in an office? At the beginning of my career. Doing what? Uh, Booking blurries onto boats. Uh, now, this is his daddy owns a transfer uh, transport firm or something no, like no, no, that. No, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I can't say that. <laughs> Don't cut that. <laughs> he did say, Don't cut that, didn't he? He did say, Don't cut that, yeah. Uh, no, this is not one to be extracted. <laughs> <laughs> Dirt, a Go Loud original. Go Do the mafia deal in plants of the. Oh, Sake, have you ever bought plants for from an Italian nursery? No, you have obviously. Oh, uh, and you, I, I tell you, you have to be there. You have to be there. You have to be there when, almost when they're loading it. Do you have an Italian interpreter agent? You know, in between, everything is bell with them. Everything is bell. Everything is. You must join us for lunch. Everything is. We collect you for beer. Everything is like that. And then they they send you stuff that you didn't order. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> and then they say ciao. Oh, this is interesting. So what are they like in France or Spain or have you dealt with them? Oh, maybe maybe I shouldn't go down this way. Do you know there was somebody, Enda Kenny said, Ireland, it's a great little country 
for doing business in. And having worked in all those places and in China and in Africa and in America, whatever, Ireland is a great little place for doing business in. Explain that. It's it's really quite uncomplicated to work in Ireland or in Britain. Well, Britain are doing their best to make it as complicated as possible now. But Ireland is relatively easy and relatively soft on regulation. And people welcome others who work. We've had experience working in France where people, suppliers, don't like to see you working. What do you mean? Just what I've said. I don't understand. They get really angry. A supplier of... Suppliers, the police, local authorities, the mayor, you name it. The mayor. Um, but, well, there is a lorry ban in France on a Sunday which causes untold havoc for the rest of the European logistic. Uh, is there, even on motorways? Yeah, oh, especially on motorways. It's oh. a blanket ban on lorries. I think for a couple of essential things it's allowed, maybe like fuel, but it's common knowledge if you've ever driven any commercial vehicle in France. Where did we start this? Anyway, we're off to London to landscape <laughs> an office uh, in, in two days for another, for the head, for the dawn. But I want to know, can, you, can people be landscaping offices here? Can, can employers take it upon themselves to do that for their employees and create an office that's verdant and, and you know, inspiring? I would and... say start with allowing your people to have spider plants on their desk. Allow everyone to have their own plant yeah. and look after it. And if everyone can prove that they want to look after a plant yeah. on their desk, which most people at a desk will because they're staring at this, you know, eight by four sheet of timber all day with one computer on one end. And if there's anything that's anyway alive and interesting, it tends to catch your attention a bit more. The way it works in general, Aideen, is that people would contract out the service to a company that specialises in um, office and commercial premises landscaping. And you just hire the plants. And so when the plant isn't doing too well uh, because of conditions or because of lockdown or, or whatever, it's just taken away, replaced with something new. And you will often go into office blocks and see people cleaning leaves, watering, repotting or misting. Yeah. But I don't think my agent... When somebody sees you as a gardener, they expect you to be an expert in every area of gardening. You have to be a... Jack of all trades of all within trade that area. And master of none. And we're not all... Now, you know, of course, houseplants is nothing to us, but if he said to me that he wanted me to... Think of an example, Paul. Well, if he wanted you to lay a patio in his back garden, because in some ways gardeners are seen as, you know, you yeah. can do all of these other things. We were talking about it yesterday in the garden we were working in with the contractors there, how people, when you're building a garden in particular, all of a sudden you're expected to know and do lighting and plumbing and electricity and painting and all of those things that, while, yes, anyone can do them, it's not really the work of the gardener. It's sort of, you know, an outside thing. And sometimes as a contractor, you have to just find those people. But often you're the one that ends up doing it. And people are scared of gardening, by definition, because it involves a little bit of science, it involves Latin names and whatever. So they look at you, if you can say one Latin name, the name of one plant, they look at you as the kind of oracle of knowledge for everything, including what tone of pink should we paint that wall 
and you do get listened to because you're regarded as an expert. And yet your interest might only be in propagating houseplants or might only be in, you know, your interest can be so varied. That's the thing with horticulture. You can become a greenkeeper. You can I also think way. that's the thing with you and me, though, because we have very specific interests. So it makes us a bit snobby about our customers because you're, we're both elites of different types. You're really good on plant knowledge, but your particularly your particular interest is probably in propagation or, you know, snowdrops or whatever. Um, and me, I'm a nut about design, and really in my own mind wanted to. I take on very few landscape jobs because I want everyone to be really special and it really frustrates if I'm not saying something new about gardens through that job. So we're a little bit odd. So you're basically admitting here on the podcast that you're going to be winging it when you go over to London to do this landscaping job. I am. (laughs) Yes. Is that not the point of the story you were telling? No. Okay. I'm all ears. No. How very dare you? No, it's the easiest thing in the world to do if you're going to be a gardener to understand the plants that will grow in a particular area. There are some things you do have to know, but it's very easy to pot up any plant and give advice about how to keep it. That wasn't the point I was making, was it? What was the point? You were were making the point that people who hire Jesus. you expect you to be able to don't listen back to this episode to be Paul. experts of everything yeah you're expected to know and want to know about every aspect of gardening yeah but we're not particular I think what I'm saying is our interests wouldn't really be in indoor gardening for offices no it's not the passion it's not That's the it. thing that you spend every waking hour doing or whatever but we could do it in our sleep but, yeah. you, but you can't say no to this job That's the point that's the point. And you end up you, doing a lot of that. In you you end up doing a lot. You try saying no by just avoiding uh, when he says it the first time three months ago. To say, and then I got an email from uh, Theo, um, who is the guy who looks after me on a day to day basis. And just yesterday, I thought, you know, maybe this is maybe this is is, is going away. Oh, <laughs> you're being asked if you booked your flights. He's on it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, and he's also talking about a budget, doesn't it? Uh, I'm just waiting for a budget from John so you can start um, Well, that's important. planning what plants you'll need. I know, but I don't generally tend to work to budgets. Oh. Nobody well, wants to hear that, Dermot. This is Dermot Bannon territory, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like your agent will uh, countenance that. Well, he won't listen, so we're fine. We can, let's make up one now on air and tell him. Do you know what? For anybody else, that would be... First of all, no, I don't want to work to budgets. I don't, you know, I've just done a television series and we've had makeovers and they weren't big heavy I don't want to work to budgets because I don't yeah but people need budgets so that you don't go and you know this is why I do very few gardens this is one of the reasons that I do very few gardens you like to pick the client who understands the passion and will work with you to make that come true so we're 
planting up a garden at the moment. I don't know how much we're spending on plants. I haven't a clue and I haven't talked to the client about it. Is that really bad? It's yeah. probably not something you want to include in this, really, is it? <laughs> anyway, we're going to see how you get on next week yeah. in London. Yeah. We shall see what happens and we shall I think bring very, along the recording. I think it'd be very funny if with just uh, John meets Paul. OK, we're going to need to film this as well. <laughs> I, I can do that. I'll do, a, I'll do a, a reel on Instagram. Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith. A Go Loud original. So, a boat, the week before last, a boat arrived from Latvia into Drogheda Port in County Loud with 3,600 tonnes of horticultural peat. And it was met by, just to give you an idea of the volume of that, it was met by a fleet of 200 trucks. Why, I guess, is the big question here. It's landed amid growing, ongoing tensions between the horticultural industry, growers in the horticultural industry, and the government following the cessation of commercial peat production in the wake of a 2019 High Court ruling. And basically, that was an import of uh, how many tonnes, did you say? 3,600. Over the last year on this island, we have imported 40,000 tonnes of peat, um, which is about four times what we normally would normally import. So we do import quite a lot of peat in this country to meet our demands, but this year we've quadrupled that. So a lot of the horticultural industry in this country is based on the use of peat. It employs an enormous amount of people and the industry would have you believe and may indeed be true that 17,000 jobs are at risk at the moment if the strategy isn't changed. So what is peat and why all of a sudden is it in the news and why all of a sudden is a country that has loads of peat importing it? Well, I think to say we have loads of peat is a little incorrect because we had loads of peat. Uh, we have been harvesting it at a rate, uh, an unsustainable rate for the last, well, we've been harvesting it for hundreds of years, but in the last 40 years in particular, we've got industrial about it and we've got big scale and we've got to the point that we export. A huge amount of our peat is exported or was exported to the UK and we then burn a fair amount of it ourselves in this country for producing electricity producing electricity and keeping our home fires burning yeah the amount that keep houses warmer probably you know it's an insignificant amount to the amount that is burnt to produce electricity and even the amount that the horticulture industry use you could argue is a small percentage to the amount that we just put in mass into these incinerators and just burnt it so we could have electricity and a stable electricity supply to our houses and actually this year they're talking about the fact that this could be the first winter where we have you know sporadic power cuts because our supply may not be as stable as it has been in the past and this is just one of the many many things that's happening in the world at the moment as our climate changes as we adapt to having to live okay so but let's roll back here what is peat it's a type of soil isn't it it's yeah it's not really a soil. It's kind of rotten material, but it hasn't quite rotted yet. It rots in an anaerobic state, which means it rots underwater without any air. And as a result, it rots much slower than it would normally. 
and it evolves over thousands and thousands and thousands of years and much of parts of Ireland is covered in this material. Yeah, so there's two main types of bog in Ireland. There's blanket bogs and raised bogs. Blanket bogs tend to be those kind of thinner bogs and upland mountainous areas. Raised bogs tend to be in the Midlands and around that part where they're really deep bogs and that's where a lot of the actual peat that's used commercially comes from, not from the upland blanket bogs. It only grows as a material by about one millimetre a year. So you can imagine how long it has taken for those things to actually, or for these bugs to develop. I think 10,000 years it takes for a reasonable sized bug to develop. So we then come along, we chop it out, we put it into our fires. It isn't very efficient. It burns quite poorly. It doesn't really do a great job and it's gone. And then it's turned into, well, it's turned into carbon in the atmosphere and that's a big problem, isn't it? And it's a huge problem, a huge problem. And um, we all know that we should be conserving carbon stores in trees by not digging the ground in so many different areas. But maybe especially in terms of our use of of peat. So why I know peat has been used in the horticulture industry for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Why do we think it's always there? Why is it so good that an industry has developed around it? Why is that industry something that we've, or that the product something that we've, you know, developed to such an extent that we've exported it for? You know why it's decades? so good? Why? Because it's so shit. Okay. Um, and that makes no sense. As a base. As a material, to, as a base, as a constant material, it's brilliant. It's consistent, it's uniform. But it's rubbish. It's got no nutrient. It's not great if it dries out. There's lots of disadvantages to peat. But as a base material to grow plants in, it's bloody brilliant. So it's sterile. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? There's no weeds in it. So if if you go and buy a peat-based compost, uh, a bag of peat-based compost from you and... uh, put a plant in, plant a plant in it, you will be guaranteed that the only thing that's going to germinate in that is, or, or thrive in that, is the plant that you've put in it, either as a cutting, uh, as a young plant, or And if you have sown. a piece that has lots of weeds, it's either poor quality or it's been stored incorrectly. Okay, so it's sterile. It's something that you can add other ingredients to. Mainly nutrients and things to balance the pH which is the acidity of it which that means which makes it that you can grow pretty much anything you want in that material. So for a plant to grow it will need uh, some food for its stems some food for uh, production of flower, production of fruit fruit and for roots and that is nitrogen and potassium and trace elements and all of that. You can add all that to this sterile product. Yeah, so in that sense, it's brilliant. But the problem being, number one, we're now not allowed to extract peat on a big scale. Hold on, no, no, I just want to go back on why it's good. So you can add all that and you can make different grades of peat or different grades of potash. So if you were wanted to some compost for growing seeds, you can have less amount of nutrients if you wanted one's uh, a compost for taking cuttings. Uh, and all of these companies and the the, the way uh, we've evolved our economies is adding value to products. And Pete would have de- would have been this perfect example of something that was uh, a product that value was added to. So you can make so many different ingredients, so many different types of product um, uh, 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 from it. Um, 
and the consumer absolutely loves it because it's relatively clean to use. It's clean, it's not dirty. When it's dry, it's nearly, it doesn't even stick to your hand. And it's, it's consistent, it feels good, it's crumbly and it makes gardening feel clean. Yeah, but it's actually not very good at doing much. It's not great. But it's very, you keep saying that, it's very good as a, as a base, it's very good to add things to, it's very easy to use. And it's also very good in another way that when you water it and as long as you keep it watered, it will release the water and the nutrients that are contained in the compound that you've built slowly to the roots of the plant. Yes, that's very true, but we can't use it anymore. Okay, why can't we use it? We can use it. Less and less. But and we shouldn't use it. We shouldn't use it. It's a bit like we're all driving petrol and diesel cars at the moment, but every single one of us who drives the petrol or diesel cars knows that we can't really be doing this long term. It's not sustainable, but the options out there are limited to the alternatives. So it's not sustainable use. because it's storing carbon. That's number one. Mm-hmm. But it's not sustainable for another reason also, because to make peach to produce that bag of peat-based compost, we are draining bogs. And if we drain the bogs, which are moist areas, generally in the Midlands in this country and in many other countries, if we drain them, we take away habitats for uh, other flora and fauna. Well, we take away habitats and we also allow all that carbon that has been stored in this massive sink in this bog to be released into the atmosphere. It's as bad as cutting down a rainforest. The peat bogs in this country are our rainforest. We don't have any more forests. They've been gone for hundreds and thousands of years. But the peat bogs Because of were, human intervention? Yeah, and because of human intervention, our final bit of natural habitat, that's unique. Our peat bogs in this part of the world are unique to Europe, are unique to the world, because, number one, we have so much of them and there are so many things that thrive in them. And yet we have, over the past hundred years particularly, drained them. And now we've realised that that can't happen anymore. And the legislation has come in to say that you're not allowed to harvest peat and allowed to harvest these things in lots of places. But Paul, that's a real challenge because our industry is built on the use of peat. Yeah. Whether it's the landscaping industry, whether it's the garden design industry, because you can't have garden design without having plants to plant in the gardens that That are grown. grown. Our kind of whole education part of our industry has been for... A hundred years built on the Our use. retail. The Wait. amount of peat that's actually used in retail, I think, is nearly bigger than used in just commercial horticulture to produce these plants because people love buying peat and using it in their gardens. And when a customer goes into a garden centre or a nursery to buy some compost, they won't even think in the main about peat, about uh, whether they should use peat or not. No, and it's only in the last couple of years that it's became kind of this big deal and talked about in the media and they've spoken about it and there's been protests because people aren't allowed to cut bogs anymore. And, and yet I remember, you know, growing up in the 70s and in the 80s, I remember hearing stories about Dutch groups who were buying parts of Irish bogs to preserve them. And we hadn't cut it, cut, cottoned on to that idea that we needed to preserve our habitat. It seemed like an oddity that these other Europeans were taking care of some of our land. But now it's become much more mainstream. Well, we have to, because it's part of our commitment to various different uh, worldwide climate action bills. We just have to protect our native bog and our, our habitat, our little bit of habitat that we've left. It just has to be done. So it's very easy to access. It's very cheap to to buy for the manufacturers it's very easy to 
add materials to it. It is really quite portable. A whole industry and a whole way of gardening has built up around these brick bags of peat. It all has to change. And plants aren't going to be so easy to grow. And the real problem, I think, at the moment is investment or considered thought hasn't been put into alternative compost to peat. I think that's part of it. That's more of a problem for the commercial side of things and the big producers and everyone else. Uh, everyone else in the industry, I should say. But people listening, people at home, people who want to join in this podcast and who are gardeners, the concern for them is when they go to a garden centre to buy a bag of peat, how will that change? And the answer is it will. But there are peat-free products already out there on the market containing lots of different materials that they have been trying for, you know, decades. What sort, of, what sort of materials? How else can you create a growing medium? So one of them, weirdly, is coconut husks, coir which is used quite a lot, uh, quite in short supply at the moment, because I think you were saying, did they use it for other? Um, many other and, uh, yeah, many other applications. And, you know, it's brought in from places like India, so there's still um, ships that have to come in. It still has to be brought over thousands and thousands of Yeah, of the miles. environmental impact is, uh, as the environmental impact of bringing in this uh, and peat from Latvia. That there's things like coconut fibre, that is coir. Coconut fibre and coir are the same, the same. synonymous. Yeah. And what is that? It's just the outer shell of coconuts are stripped off of them as they're harvested and then it's put in one big pile and then they realise as it rots down it's actually a very useful material that's very, very similar to peat. The other one that's used in a similar way is so that, bark. So we're, we're talking that as a base? As peat. Just think of this as peat. Base is confusing to people. Just in direct kind of you know compensation or direct comparison to peat coir is peat as is composted bark when you strip the bark off of trees they use bark mulch normally but if you allow that to rot down a bit more you can get composted bark which can be used instead of peat just as effectively a few other things one of them being you know when the council take all of your rubbish away in the brown bin and they turn it into big yes piles of compost and then they sell it back to you or they sell it to different things, that can be used as an alternative. The problem with that is it's not consistent. It's depending on if you eat nothing but bananas, you'll have a lot of potassium in your bin. But if I eat nothing but oranges, I'll have a lot of orange shell, which is a totally different material. And it can be very inconsistent in terms of what you get. Whereas things like composted tree bark, they're all from the one tree, can be quite consistent. Coconuts are quite consistent because they're all the one. So you just have to look at all these different alternatives. And they are looking at them and they're beginning to combine a lot of them. That's normally how peat-free composts are now made. They're a combination of those things together. And that's how you get a good peat-free compost. And like what we've seen in the food industry, if too many people go towards soya, if too many people use palm oil, are there going to be challenges in terms of growing the amount of coconuts that will be required to sustain our industry. So does sorting one problem cause another problem? Yeah, totally. When you turn around and use nothing but coconut shells from halfway across the world, because we can't grow coconuts probably in a good chunk of this hemisphere, let alone this country, 
So, yeah, but then we should be looking at the different things like composted bark. We can grow trees here very happily, very easily. Why don't we look at those alternatives? And a lot of companies are, and a lot of commercial companies already are. Places like the National Trust in England for years have been peat-free and only buy peat-free plants, which a lot of nurseries had issues with because they produce plants in peat. What you mean by peat-free plants are plants, plants grown, grown in a peat-based peat compost. Yeah. And even when you go into a garden centre, number one, buying peat-free compost when you're at the place buying your compost but look at the plants and more and more you're going to see stickers saying I'm peat free grown in peat free material and I would encourage anyone who sees a plant that has that sticker on it to buy that plant over the alternative if you can at all because more and more it's going to become commonplace to the point that you won't even know it soon enough because it'll just all be grown in peat free material. Now would you say you're peat free? No. No. Explain that. Uh, try to be, but it's very difficult when you're working in an industry that uses it a lot, um, that has continued to use it. I've worked in a nursery in the past that has been completely peat-free. That was challenging because they turned over to peat-free the year I arrived there and that was a whole new... For me, I wasn't used to the old regime, the old system, but when you change to a different product in your entire production system, it really does change things, so you have to think and about it. What and did they use? How did they find the supply chain for that different material and how did they find the growth rates? They used a composted bark which had added a, that had added nutrient and added kind of water retention things to it. They found the supply chain fine until I think I've left now but in the last year with Brexit with Covid with all those other things the supply of that and with the fact that there's no more peat been harvested everybody wants this stuff and it's really really difficult so it's challenging for them but in terms of a product a few things did better a few things did worse but overall it's a good alternative and fine it's more expensive so you'll find the price of your plants probably creeping up a little bit because it's a little bit more expensive to produce this stuff but a lot more sustainable. And a lot of people will be listening to this saying, right, I've been peat-free for a while. You and me too. We'd never go to a garden centre and buy uh, a bale of peat, uh, a peat-based compost. We really wouldn't. Uh, if we were in a garden, we'd use whatever was available. If there was something in the shed, we'd certainly use it, but we'd never go and buy it. However, I sell a range of houseplants and that range will most likely have been grown in peat or a peat-based compost. We were landscaping this week. We used hundreds and hundreds of plants and most of them will have been grown in peat-based compost. So despite ourselves and despite our best wishes, it's everywhere. But more and more, it's going to become commonplace to have peat-free products. And eventually, before you even know it, there will be no peat used in commercial horticulture. Maybe a very tiny percentage for a very small amount of plants that can grow in nothing else, and that's usually for conservation purposes. But for the most part, it won't be something you'll see in the future. Well, you're quite right, because as we're sitting here recording this podcast, I know at this very moment there's a delivery of about 700 plants arriving on a driveway in South County Dublin, and all of those plants have been grown in a peat-free substrate. Yep. So nurseries are moving. They are, they have to, and they will. And as a consumer, we all will too. And we just won't realise it. But it's a hugely important thing that we have to be aware of. And at the moment, if we can avoid peat, please do. So we should all do our best. But the one thing that we will have to, and we've talked about this in, in terms of the real price of fruit and vegetables, the price of our growing medium is going to rise. Dirt. A Go Loud original. Go out!
We're back in St. Patrick's Park. That was an interesting chat about Peter. I hope it didn't get too heavy and I hope we've given a little bit of an understanding about why it's best to avoid it. As a country, we are coming out of peace and as I kept saying, we're not going to see it a whole lot more. But just be aware of it and when you're out in the shop, uh, be vigilant and try see if you can find peat-free products. Yeah, I think it's important to see if you can find, but I think we don't, we're not in favour of extremists. No. No, there's nothing worse than extremists. So if you find yourself using a bit of compost with some peat in it, don't worry, but try and remember the lessons and try and understand why it might be best, why it's so important, actually, that we all move on uh, a little bit. How about working together, Paul? Well, how's that going? (laughs) We're currently doing it. Well, we've worked together for years. At this stage, we have worked together on all sorts of different things for years, but we've rarely planted together because usually... I'm not the boss, but I'm the guy who arrives in the um, in the pickup or whatever it is I drive and say, put that there, put that there. Yeah, you know the way magicians have a wand and they just kind of throw their hand over an area and all of a sudden everything magically appears. I'm the minion that makes everything magically appear. But this time, it's a bit different. We have put together our resources and we're planting a garden down in Wicklow. We're planting a garden together because actually the guy who owns the garden and I just realised that the, the reason I'm planting, the guy who owns the garden wants me to be involved and he's one of my bosses. Uh, he's the head of independent newspapers in, oh they're not independent anymore are they? Media House. Media House. Uh, so I really want to make an impression so that's why I'm helping you. And it's good fun. We're putting in a load of autumn flowering plants, or not autumn flowering, autumn colour planters. Have you learned anything from planting it with me? Yeah, you can be a little bit contrary. You have your own way of doing things. You're very particular. I'm not very particular. Um, I'm we very, have a very similar I'm very way. neat and tidy. We have a very similar way, because like most gardeners, we agree on most things. But I'm very neat and tidy. And I had a day planted on my own the other day. And that's really important, just to get to know the plot. Just to get a few hours of peace, silence... No Carlo inflections. There wasn't even Carlo Little Aster there. No, but you had a load of dubs working with you, so they tainted you a little. Well, there were dubs <laughs> from Romania. Uh, that too. But we were, and we have been going in. Well, interestingly enough, we went and placed a load of plants. So when we do any garden, we go around with the plants that came from the nursery, wherever they come from, and place them where we think they're going to go. And you and I emptied the car the other day, and we basically, together, without actually talking to each other, placed everything where we wanted them to go. So we do kind of know what we're about a little bit, which was good to see. We do, and it was fun to plant it better. You were together, you were in a bit of a mood, but apart from that, it was fun. Yeah, well, then you made me off onto a bank with a pickaxe and try plant into a garden for the a little. <laughs> this bit. was brilliant. Now, what you do is you invent another job that has to be done. And I needed to collect containers because I'm doing a planting job for a friend who has a shop in town. It was such a bad excuse. I have to go into town to collect a load of buckets. Well, I did. <laughs> well, you didn't even see them. Well, you see them now. They're yeah. in the back of my car. <laughs> Uh, I did. They're not great buckets, mind you. Oh, anyway, he sent me away with a pick, and I had to plant in a couple of things. Well, now, in fairness, I had used the pick the day before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had put in about three plants the day previously. So. It's such a. F- <laughs> I'd planted most of the garden, and I'd made most of the decisions, and I do that fairly well. But we do plant well t- together. But we're off to London to plant together. Yep, so we have already spoke about that a little bit, and we are going to take one of these recorders, and we're going to go into the lights of planting together in a city that you know quite well i don't know that well but we both haven't worked there in at least two years so that'll be fun 
in the agent's office. That's the scary part, going into the lion's den. Uh, next week on Dirt, we haven't talked about what we're going to discuss yet, so it's going to be a surprise. <laughs> Why aren't they wildflowers? Because some of them aren't native. They are very colourful, they're pretty, and they do a great job of informing people that this is what you should garden, or this is how you should garden, but they are not, strictly speaking, native wildflowers. But it is lovely to see them here in St. Francis uh, Park. And it's and far nicer than a big patch of grass. tell you one thing, there's an elegance to this, a simple elegance to this bar. It has a bit of Lego brick, but apart I'm from that... I'm even impressed with their lawn. Look how nice that lawn is. I know I don't like lawns, but that's quite a good lawn. Lawns have a place. Yeah. And this is the place, because during the summer, Paul, when everybody's back in their office, this is where they come to lunch and to lie out it's like outside St Paul's Cathedral in London it's corporate heaven everyone is in their jackets pretending that they're in the countryside but yet they have to go back into their big cubes after lunch say the line Paul Dirt is a Go Loud original which drops every Monday wherever you get your (laughs) off he's beating me up I can't do this Dirt is a Go Loud original which drops every Monday wherever you get your podcasts don't forget to leave a review if you like what you hear We don't want to hear from you if you've anything shady to say.